global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we pray now for your spirit to be poured out upon us as we study your word. We want to understand clearly the prophecies and understand the judgment. And we just pray that Jesus would be our greatest love and that we would always be drawn unto him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host. And today we have another important segment in the series Unlock Revelation. We're going through Bible prophecy bit by bit, studying Revelation, studying Daniel. And the key text today comes to us from Revelation 14 and verse 7. And we read, The angel with the everlasting gospel, so this is good news, says, Fear God and give glory to him, meaning respect and reverence God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Now, this is an important statement because this angel is saying this just before verses 18 and 19, which talk about the second coming of Jesus. So just before the second coming of Jesus, the announcement goes out, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. So the judgment actually begins before the second coming of Christ, which makes a lot of sense because in Revelation 22, when Jesus says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me, well, he's already got established the rewards and the punishments for the righteous and the wicked before he comes. So the judgment is taking place before he comes. You actually can read about this judgment in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, there's an amazing text of scripture that that pictures a judgment going on in heaven. In verse 9, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was the pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Now that's a lot of angels standing before the Ancient of Days, the Most High God in heaven, It says uh, 10,000 times 10,000. I had to actually think that one through a bit. That would be 100 million and thousands of thousands, so many angels that Daniel cannot even describe the number. The same number is found also in Revelation 5, where he says there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels in heaven. So 10,000 times 10,000, at least 100 million. And these are the loyal angels, so there would be half that amount of fallen angels. It says this in verse Daniel Daniel 7, verse 10. It says, when these 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, here's here's what they're here for. This massively significant, glorious event with a fiery stream issuing forth from God and this very glorious picture of him with the hair and the the wheels of burning fire and all of this. Here's, Here's what they're all convening before the Lord for. They all stood before him. The judgment was set 
and the books were opened. The judgment happening in heaven and books being opened, which makes a lot of sense. If God's going to bring fallen sinful mortals, redeemed mortals, up into heaven and give them a new body and and we're going to be neighbors dwelling in heaven with the angels, the angels want to understand who it is that's coming to be with them in heaven. So there's a judgment going on here before the second coming in Daniel 7, verses 9 to 10. It says in the book of Acts 17, verse 31, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. So this day happens at some point before the second coming. Now we're going to study tonight exactly when that judgment takes place. But we know that there is a judgment. Ecclesiastes 12 says God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So you don't hide from the searching eye of God. But this is something we know from 2 Corinthians 5 also. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So when does this judgment take place? Let's take a look at a very, very, very important text in Daniel and chapter 8, and then we're going to take the remainder of the broadcast to try to understand this verse. It says in Daniel eight fourteen, the angel said unto me, so Daniel seeing in vision, Daniel speaking with an angel, the angel is communicating future prophecy in this chapter, and in this particular verse, the angel says unto Daniel, Unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, at first glance, the reader of the Bible living in the 21st century has no idea what this is talking about. What is this about the sanctuary being cleansed? Let's first understand what the sanctuary was in the Old Testament and some interesting information about our time as well. In Exodus 25, verse 8, God told his people to make a sanctuary, to build a tabernacle, a temple, that God would dwell among them. And so they built the tabernacle, and it had the holy place and the most holy place. It had the different compartments and the outer court. And and, and within this sanctuary, they would do their daily ministrations, their daily lamb sacrifices. And at the lamb sacrifice, the lambs, the, the sinner would bring the lamb down to the temple or the, or the tabernacle, the sinner would, would confess his sins over the head of that lamb, and then they would slay the throat of the, slit, slit the throat of the lamb, and a graphic illustration that the wages of sin is death. Sin causes death. But also a beautiful picture of the coming lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. This is Jesus. This is a representation of Christ. Behold, the lamb of God, said John, who taketh away the sin of the world. Now, they did this daily, and they would minister in the holy place, the first compartment of the tabernacle, daily. Once a year, they would go into the most holy place, and the priest would go in. It says in Hebrews that he would never go in without blood, and he would only go in on the Day of Atonement. This was called the Day of the Cleansing of the Sanctuary, because they would take some of that blood of that lamb every day, and they would minister some of it onto the horns of the altar and place some of it on the on the curtain on the veil and over time this the, the idea is that the, the the sinner has been forgiven but that the sanctuary itself yet needs to be cleansed and so on the day of atonement which the jewish language refers to as yom kippur the high priest and only the high priest would go into the most holy place and he would 
engage in the what, what was called the cleansing of the sanctuary. He would minister the blood in the inner sanctuary. They would use the scapegoat, and they would send the scapegoat into the wilderness, and Israel's sins are not only forgiven, but cleansed. This is what you read about salvation in the New Testament. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God is in the business of forgiving us and of cleansing us. He wants to pardon us and give us a new heart and a right spirit and a new life. And this is what Israel experienced every year. They would have this symbol of the cleansing of the sanctuary. Well, what does the Bible say the sanctuary is? It says, you, your body is the temple. You are a sanctuary in the New Testament. So we don't go and minister in this way with the blood of lambs today, but we do have a sanctuary, and that's us, where God himself dwells. So God wants to cleanse that sanctuary that's the symbol of the cleansing of the sanctuary. Now, it's not just the sanctuary of this earth. John, in Revelation 11, verse 19, sees into the temple in heaven and sees into the most holy place of heaven. So the New Testament is drawing our attention to the holy of holies. The New Testament is drawing our attention to the most holy place and the sanctuary in heaven. So when Moses built the tabernacle on this earth, God said, make it as a copy of the shadow of the, of the pattern that I show to you. So God drew the plans. He said, this is how the tabernacle is to look because it was mimicking the sanctuary in heaven. So there's actually two sanctuaries, the Old Testament one on this earth and the real one in heaven. Now, who's our high priest up there? Let's read about that in Hebrews 4, 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And it goes on to say that we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points just as like we are. Wow, that is an amazing verse. Jesus went through what we go through so he can help us in our time of need, he says, and that we can obtain mercy, that we can obtain his mercy because he is our merciful high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, you'll want to spend some time studying through Hebrews chapter 9, particularly verses 1 through 7. The New Testament is again directing our attention to, in verse 7, the high priest went alone into the second compartment, into the most holy place, once every year, which he offered blood for for the errors of his people. And then in verse 24, it says, Christ is not entered to the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true. In other words, there were holy places made with hands, the tabernacle, the temple, and the holy place and the most holy place therein. Christ did not enter into those. He has entered into the true, it says in Hebrews 9, verse 24, the true tabernacle of heaven. So the New Testament is directing the Christian to Jesus as the great high priest, Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus as the one who has entered into the high priest the, the the high priestly role in the most holy in the holy place of the sanctuary in heaven now daniel 8:14 is referring to what's called the cleansing of the sanctuary let me read it again because we're studying daniel 8:14 in this session we're trying to understand when does this time of judgment begin First of all, every Jew listening to this verse, Daniel 8, 14, knows exactly what it's talking about. When it says, 2,300 days from now, the sanctuary will be cleansed, 
The Jewish listener of the original writings of this and when it was written would, would go, oh, yeah, we know exactly what the cleansing of the sanctuary is. This is the great annual judgment day. This is the great annual day of atonement. This is the sanctuary cleansing day. The day of the sanctuary cleansing was synonymous with the day of judgment, where they would afflict their souls, they would humble their hearts, and they would come before God, making sure that all of their sins had been forgiven because the sanctuary is being cleansed. Now, Daniel says that's going to happen 2,300 days from now. Now, the question to us is, is this the earthly sanctuary he's speaking about or the heavenly sanctuary that he's speaking about? Daniel doesn't know. He doesn't understand. In fact, it says in verse 26, the angel says to him that this vision which is told to you is true. The vision of the 2300 days is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. Other translations say for the distant future. It says in verse 17 that this prophecy is about the time of the end. And Daniel says that he was astonished in verse 27. And he was sick, and nobody understood this vision. 2,300 days? That's not very long into the future. Well, the angel told him this is about the time of the end, the distant future. Let's understand what the Bible says 2,300 days actually represents when we come back from the break. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. The average child beholds 200,000 acts of violence and 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature on television before they reach adulthood. And that doesn't even count video games. But it's not like I'm going to go out and do what I see acted out on the screen, so we say. Well, that old excuse doesn't hold up to the latest science. Recent research actually shows that what the eyes see, the brain interprets as if you are engaged in the act yourself. At every church I speak at, folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back. We are understanding what Daniel could not understand in his day. And that was... Daniel 8, verse 14. Unto 2,300 days, unto 2,300 days, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Daniel did not understand this. That's where we left off before the break. The angel told him it's about the distant future. It's about the time of the end. And Daniel says, I didn't understand it. Well, in verse 9, Gabriel comes back to give him understanding. In fact, in verse 22 of chapter 9, he says, I have come to give you understanding. In verse 23, he says, I've come to help you understand the matter. 
and consider the vision. So here's how Gabriel goes about explaining 2,300 days of prophetic time. Now, before I tell you what it says in Daniel 9, we should first understand Ezekiel 4, verse 6, and Numbers 14, verse 34. Both of these scripture texts point out that a day can symbolize and represent a year. Now, this is the only proper way to understand 2,300 days being about the distant future and the time of the end, because 2,300 days is only six years and change. It's a, it's a little over six years. So this must not be 2,300 days. This only can be 2,300 years, because a day in Bible prophecy equates to one literal year. Now, you're going to see how that works out in Daniel 9, and not just take it from Ezekiel and Numbers, those texts that say a day can represent a year. Let's see how clearly a day can represent a year. This passage is one of my favorite in the entire Bible. It points to the actual time of Jesus' first coming. And as we study through this, we'll see when Jesus came and how it was predicted in the Bible. And then we'll circle back around to Daniel 8.14 and see about this 2300 days. But Daniel's confused about the 2300 day prophecy. He's, he's going, what about the time of the end? What is this? So the, Gabriel comes back and says, okay, let's do 70 weeks. He says in verse 24 of Daniel 9, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. That word determined is cut off. So let's just cut off a section of 70 weeks. So this would be 490 days. 490 days of the 2,300 days are being cut off, and we're going to zoom in and study these right now, Gabriel says to Daniel. And here's what you've got. You've got 490 days for your people, the Jews, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Well, that's an awful lot to do in only 490 days. The Jewish people as an entire nation are going to have this drastic national reform in a year and a half? No, this is not 490 days. A day in Bible prophecy equates to a literal year. This is 490 years. Then he goes on in verse 25 and says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be... Well, now, wait a minute. Before I even finish reading the verse, do you, do you realize what you just heard? There is an Old Testament scripture right here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 where he says, from the going forth of, the, of, of a commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes shall be, and he's about to say when that is. So people in Jesus' day could study this and know exactly when the timing of his first coming was supposed to be. We have no such prophecy about his second coming. Jesus says we do not know the day or the hour. But you can know exactly when Jesus' first coming was to come. So let's read the, read the verse. It says, from this commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, by the way, which took place in 457 BC. And you can know that from the Persians. They kept very, very detailed records. This is also in the book of Ezra, in Ezra 7 verse 13. So this scripture is saying, from 457 BC until Messiah the Prince comes shall be 
Seven weeks and three scored and two weeks. Okay, what does that mean? Seven and three scored and two. Seven plus three score. Three score is Old English for 60. And two. So seven plus 60 plus two. That would be 69. So he's saying 69 weeks. So we're looking at a 70-week period of time. But 69 weeks into that 70-week period, you'll see the Messiah appear. He will come. Now, this has got to get Daniel pretty excited. He's saying, okay, let me do the math then. 69 weeks would be 483 days. But the Messiah is not coming like next year, a year and a half from now. So this must be 483 years from 457 B.C. Well, let's do that math. What is 483 years from 457 B.C.? It comes to exactly 27 A.D. And guess what happened on 27, in 27 A.D.? <laughs> this is so beautiful. The Bible predicts to the exact year, the time that, that the Messiah would come, and Jesus did indeed come. In 27 A.D., he was baptized and began his ministry that year. He began his messianic ministry that year in 27 A.D., which, by the way, do you know what the word Messiah means? It means the anointed one. Many translations here in Daniel say the anointed one will come in 483 days from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that took place in 457 BC. Many translations say the anointed one will come. So the Messiah means the anointed one. And when was he anointed? When was Jesus anointed in his ministry? He was anointed when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and lighted upon him in the form of a dove. Indeed, this this was exactly 27 AD, which you can know from Luke 3, verse 1. He tells you exactly who was reigning and what year of their reign it was. And we know from the history, Jesus was baptized in 27 AD. What an amazing thing. So when Jesus says in Mark 1, verse 25, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, he was starting his ministry. He's saying the time is fulfilled. In other words, he not only fulfilled the place of his coming as prophesied to be in Bethlehem. He not only fulfilled the prophecies about the manner of his coming in a hundred different ways, but he fulfilled the prophecies about the time of his coming. And he says the time is fulfilled in Mark 1 verse 25. Galatians 4 verse 4 also says that he came when the fullness of the time had come. What a beautiful, amazing truth. Now the prophecy doesn't end there. In verse 26 it predicts that the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Now, that's a truly amazing statement because to be cut off means to receive divine judgment punishment. That's exactly what Jesus experienced on the cross, the second death. He took our place. He took the punishment of our sin upon his shoulders on the cross. And so when Daniel says the Messiah will come in 27 A.D., and then he will be cut off, but not for himself. Did Jesus die for his own sake? Did he die for his own sins? No, he died for our sins and for our sake. So he was cut off, but not for himself. What an amazing prophecy here in Daniel 9. But then it goes on and gets even more interesting. In verse 27, it says that he shall confirm the covenant. So he's making an agreement with his people for one week. For, in other words, seven days which prophetic time would be seven years. Did Jesus 
confirm a covenant with the Jews for seven years? Well, for three and a half years, he ministered in person and then went up to heaven after his crucifixion and resurrection. Well, guess what happened for three and a half more years? Three and a half years of him ministering unto his people. Then he goes to heaven, and for exactly three and a half more years, his disciples, his apostles, go out and minister predominantly to the Jews. Then Stephen is stoned in 34 AD, and it says in the book of Acts, Paul comes out and says to the Jews, he says, we now turn to the Gentiles. So the gospel went out to the rest of the world after the 70 weeks of Daniel 9, the 490 days, i.e. the 490 years were fulfilled in 34 AD. So 34 AD is exactly 490 years from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that took place in 457 BC. The prophecy fits hand in glove, and I'm not even done yet. It also says in verse 27 of Daniel 9 that in the middle of the week, in other words, the, uh, the middle of that last seven and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, it already said he would be cut off, but not for himself. That Jesus would die for other people's sins. But now it's giving additional detail. It's saying that he will be cut off in the middle of of that last seven years of the prophecy, which is exactly when he was crucified in AD 31, halfway between AD 27 and AD 34. And it also says that the sacrifice would cease. And what ceased upon Jesus' crucifixion? The temple veil was torn in two, and the animal sacrifices, the lamb sacrifices, ceased to have any significance whatsoever because they were fulfilled. He, the lamb of God, has been crucified. Daniel 9 is one of the most astoundingly clear prophecies that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the validity of the Bible and the validity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now that thrills my heart to no end. But we go back to Daniel 8.14 because remember this whole prophecy of of the 70 weeks was just a portion of the 2,300 days that was cut off so that Daniel could understand some things that were coming in a a reasonable amount of time over the next few hundred years. But this 2,300-day prophecy is about 2,300 years into the future. It's of the time of the end, the angel said in Daniel 8, verse 17. It's for the distant future, he said in verse 26. So when is this? Well, we have a starting point for the prophecy. Do you remember? I've said it a few times. He says, from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which is when the Persians said to the Jewish nation, you can rebuild your city, and they they sent a formal letter. It's written actually in Ezra 7. It says, from that command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 2,300 years later, the sanctuary would be cleansed. Well, you know what 2,300 years after 457 B.C. is? It's the year 1844. So a little over 170 years ago, this prophecy was fulfilled. Daniel 8.14 says, in 1844 AD, the sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, because there was no earthly one at that time, 
The heavenly sanctuary will be cleansed. In other words, our great high priest will do the work that the ancient high priests were just a shadow pointing forward to Jesus. He is doing the work of cleansing the heavenly sanctuary, 1844, till today, until his coming. We are in the day of atonement. We are in the time of the judgment. That scene described in Daniel 7 with the angels standing before God is happening now. Our names are coming up before God now. It's now time to let this sanctuary be cleansed and get right with Jesus. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. A book called Mind, Character, and Personality, this quotation was stated. Through the channel of mesmerism, and that's another word for hypnotism, Satan comes more directly to the people of this generation and works with that power, which is to characterize his efforts near the close of probation. The time we have to make a decision for or against Christ in these last days and to share the message of the everlasting gospel. So I believe that's right now. I believe we're in the last days right now. So I'm going, hmm, is it possible that Satan is using hypnotism today for his ends The method of hypnotism is a brainwashing, manipulative technique that doesn't allow the person freedom of choice. And so that would be one of Satan's methods, not one of God's. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.